This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of James. We're officially at the end of the book of James. How about that? Um, it's kind of bittersweet when you get to the end of a book. You know, it's just like, uh, it's almost like, I hate to compare it to this, but it's almost like that TV show that you watch that you get to the final end of the final series and you realize they're not making any more series. Uh, like, the, the, it's done with. Like, there's no more book of James. Like, we have exhausted it. Now, mind you, the book of James is so rich that you could go back through it and read it all again and listen to all 40-plus messages from this book and get something new every single time. Because the Bible is a living book. It's never the same every time you read it. Uh, like, like, man, if you've ever watched um, It's a Wonderful Life and you see the dude standing on the side of the bridge, you know what's going to happen, like, every single time. It's just like, and, like, you can quote the words, you know what's going to happen. Some of you are looking at me like you've never seen It's a Wonderful Life, and I feel so sorry in my heart for you. Do yourself a favor, and before Christmas, you need to watch it, and then, like, around Christmas time, you need to watch it. But, like, every time, like, I know what's going to happen, you know, uh, he finds Zuzu's petals in his pocket, and he knows, like, like you know what's going to happen. It's good every time, but you, it's kind of the same, but you know it's, it's good every time. The Bible's not like that. Like, you read a verse, and you're like, I've read the whole Bible, and I've never read that verse before. Like, where did that come from? Uh, man, that was just happening to me this past week. How did that verse come along at that time? That's what the, the Word of God does. It comes alive for you. And so I want to encourage you to, to become a student of the Word of God. Spend time every single day in the Bible. James chapter 5 tonight, if you would. A couple things I wanted to say before we uh, get started here tonight. First of all, we had an incredible day of uh, baptism over at Alamona Beach Park. We had, got a photo of our uh, folks who got baptized today. Man, what a day. We can clap for that. <laughs> Phenomenal t- testimonies. If you missed this morning's testimony, uh, I'm going to post them tomorrow on the Hui Kala app. I don't know that I'll put them on Facebook. Uh, I might I might do that just because it gives glory to God. But uh, it will definitely be on the Facebook app tomorrow or the Hui Kala app tomorrow. Uh, for sure. But man, what a story of God's grace in these people's lives. Um, and then you have uh, Joshua, who got baptized. Ayumi's uh, sister, brother-in-law, and mom were here this morning. None of them are Christians. None of them are saved. And so they got to come and not only hear the gospel preached, but they also got to see what a church family does and how a church family acts and how they get to go and celebrate at the beach when somebody comes to faith in Christ. They get to see that firsthand. Uh, and I thought, man, what a testimony our church has uh, for them. Here's what I loved about it, too. Uh, like, we got out there. It, it was pouring rain when we were getting ready to, to be dismissed from church. It lightened up a little bit. I got out there. I thought, man, the rain's going to hold off. The second those words left my mouth, the rain started to come back. It was drizzling a little bit. By the time we finished baptism, it was coming down, and nobody left. Like, nobody's running for the trees. Nobody's got shirts over their head. People are just standing out there. Why? Because they love Jesus and they love their church family. Like, that does something for your heart. Uh, I, I, love, I love the local church. I love this local church. And there's nowhere in the world I would rather be on a Sunday night to worship in Jesus with you guys. So thanks for being an incredible church family. Uh, the music for me here every single week just continues to get better and better and better and better and better. Uh, those that serve in our music ministry, you guys do a bang-up job every single week. You do it for the glory of God. You don't do it as a performance, but you use your gifts uh, to edify the body, to build us up and help us serve Jesus. And so uh, thank you guys for your, your labor of love. Uh, man, how great thou art. She had a little bit of punch on that piano, didn't she? Like, like, oh, like a little bit, like, oh. Like, as I'm singing how great thou art, I was like, oh, yeah. And it's just like, oh, yeah, that was good. You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about, right? Like a little bit of a little bit of punch to it. It's just like, ooh, that was good. Yes, I love that. And she, I, I told her that at hands together. I love the little punch you put there. She's like, if it's too much, tell me to dial it back. No, I'm telling you to dial it up. Like, that was good, man. But again, like we don't need like sideways lights in a smoke show. We just need to talk about the greatness of God and remember that. And here's the, the, the thing that, that Kate said to me while she was, uh, we were talking at handshaking time. She said, I love to hear the church sing. This church can sing. And she's not talking about you guys are good, okay? She's talking about you love to worship Jesus and just let it rip. I love that. 
okay? Don't ever lose that. Uh, because you go to some churches where people are like kicking rocks, waiting for the music to be over. Guys are in the back like yawning and checking the sports score on their phone and stuff like that. No, man, we're, we're here just 100% all out worshiping Jesus. And so, um, and again, today we get to go and see baptism and we get to see the power of the gospel at work in people's lives and stuff like that, man. Nothing better. My shirt got wet at baptism, so I didn't tuck it in. My son Thatcher before church, he said, hey, you need to tuck your shirt in. I'm like, wow, really, son? Uh, and so... Like, I baptized three people today. Can you give me a break? Like, um, but he's only saying that because I always tell him, always tuck your shirt in when you go to church. And so I have one son that listens and one doesn't. I'll let you figure that out later. Uh, <laughs> I love all, love all my kids. I really do. Uh, anyways, but I'm going to tuck my shirt today because I baptized. How about that? We'll just call it that. Uh, again, we come to the book of, end of the book of James today, but we're not taking a break from this series just yet uh, because I've asked uh, three of the, the godly men in our church to, to bring a word on practical Christianity for us uh, in the coming weeks. And so uh, next uh, Sunday night will be uh, Tim Miller's going to bring, bring the word. Uh, October the 2nd, I've asked uh, Pastor Trey to, to bring the word on practical Christianity. I said, hey, anywhere in the Bible, something that will help us to be practical Christians. Uh, and then I've asked uh, John Stoker, the, the following week is open house, October 9th. You've got to be here. Uh, take some flyers. Bring your friend. I'll preach that night. Uh, and then the following week, the, the uh, 16th of October, uh, John Stoker will bring the word. Then we'll go through a, a little mini-series until the end of uh, the year. Beginning of January, we'll kick off a brand new series, verse by verse, through a book of the Bible. Super pumped about that. James chapter 5. We're going to start in verse number... Uh, let's back up to verse number... 16, and we'll, go, we'll really spend our time in verses 19 and 20. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and rain not on the earth by a space of three years and six months. He prayed again, the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you err from the truth, and one converted, let him, that which he converteth, the sinner from the error of his way, shall save his soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. And then, like, you turn over to, like, chapter 6, and you realize, wait a minute, there's no chapter 6. It just kind of ends. Kind of interesting, as James closes out this letter to Christians scattered abroad, he doesn't really, like, close out like Paul does. And may the grace of the Lord be upon you, uh, and greet these people wherever you're at. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Just kind of, like, ends with a thought. Uh, here, and, and he's just done. But it ends with a really, really important thought. I've entitled tonight's message, The Church as a Safety Net. When we take a look at the church, again, James is writing to uh, Jews who were part of that revival, or really not a revival, the birth of the church, rather, at Jerusalem that day that everybody got saved and baptized and added to the church, and that first few months of growth that were taking place in Jerusalem, and then as persecution came, they scattered wherever they could, and James is writing to these 12 tribes that used to be together in Jerusalem that have now scattered everywhere. They don't know the first thing about Christianity the way that you and I do. They haven't had the luxury of reading First and Second Corinthians because it hadn't been written yet. They haven't read Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, hadn't been written yet. They hadn't gotten to read, like you and I have, the book of Romans and really delved the deep doctrinal truths of the gospel. It hadn't been written yet. It's, it's believed by most Bible scholars that the first book of the New Testament that was ever written was more than likely the book of James before the four gospels had even been completed. So these guys don't know the Sermon on the Mount yet. Uh, these guys don't know, you know, Jesus touching blind guys and, and helping them see. They don't know any of that. Unless they've heard it secondhand, they don't know it from reading it the way that you and I would. So, James says, I'm just going to tell you how to be a Christian. You need to pay attention to what you say, how you say it, who you say it to. Uh, you need to make sure that you're not double-minded because you're going to be unstable in all of your ways. And he just throws out all these really practical tips on being a really good Christian. And then he comes down to the end of it and talks about people that are part of the church who fall away from the faith how we should help those people and what we do with those. And so I've kind of entitled tonight's message, The Church is a Safety Net. Because when we talk about the church, the church is made up of saved, baptized, and regenerate Christians. Sometimes people think that the, the, the church is just made up of the people who show up on a Sunday morning. Now, that's not the case at all. That's just a, a gathering of people. When we talk about the body of Christ, when we talk about the local church, we're talking about a body of believers that is made up of people who have been saved, 
have been baptized and have been regenerated. That regeneration goes along with your salvation. Totally different people than what they were before. That's what makes up the church. The church cannot be made up of lost people. They, they haven't yet understood the gospel. How could they carry out the great commission of getting the gospel to the entire world if they've never received the gospel themselves? Unfortunately, there's many churches in our town, I w- would say in America, but there's churches in our town where if you show up long enough, you're automatically a member. Uh, if you've signed in more than three times, they're going to put you on a membership role, and you are now a member of a church despite the fact that you've never actually professed faith in Christ. There's some folks who had come over from uh, another church here on island where they had attended for three years and asked them about their experience there. I want to make sure when people leave a church, especially a local church here on island, if they leave on good terms, that there's no uh, drama, there's no sin, there's no problems with their previous pastor. If there is, they need to go back and make that ride. And so they, they came to, to our church. The church that they came from was not a Bible-preaching church. And so um, I began to talk to them for a little bit, and they said they had been serving in children's ministry there for the last three years, and they worked with kids. I asked them if they enjoyed it, and they said they didn't. And so, um, again, one of the reasons why I'm thankful. Every single person that serves in Huikala and children's ministry does it by their own desire. We've never forced people into children's ministry. Uh, if they don't like it, they don't have to stay, because we're grouchy people working with kids, for sure. We began to talk for a little bit, and I said, so uh, tell me about when you got saved. And they said, what do you mean? Well, tell me about the time that you were born again. I thought maybe there was a unclear, something unclear on terms. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, was there a time in your life where you ex- recognized your need for Jesus Christ and confessed him, your, your sin to him and received him as Savior and kind of put him in charge of your life? Well, we, we kind of started going to, to church after college Okay, and then I realized really quickly they'd been serving in ministry at another church in children's ministry, teaching kids, Lord knows what. They didn't even understand the gospel; they weren't saved. And so I realized really quickly, okay, that church there obviously didn't do any due diligence to ensure that the people that were joining their church and serving in ministry and teaching children were saved, baptized, and regenerate people, because that's what makes up the church. the The Greek word that's used in the New Testament for the word church is ekklesia. The word ecclesia means a group of people who have been called out. To be called out, you have to be called, you were in something before you were called out of that. They were in the world before and they were called out of the world into a body of believers that belongs to Jesus. And so it's the responsibility of the church to verify and examine the testimonies of those seeking membership. We don't let just anybody join our church. And you say, well, are you guys uh, uh, restrictive on who can join the church? Absolutely. Well, I thought God was inclusive, and you haven't read the Bible. Anybody who wants to come to Jesus can, but you cannot be a part of the family of God, of the body of Christ, unless you have been saved and are following Jesus with your life. Simple as that. So when somebody says, hey, I want to join the church, uh, we kind of have an a informal-ish process of that. Uh, if you have the Church Center app on your phone, there's a, a thing on the homepage where you can click a button that says Church Membership, and then you put in your information on the next page, and it'll send you an email with our church constitution and bylaws, a, a video that's an hour long that tells you what it means to be a church member. And then after that, you and I will sit down, and you'll tell me about how you got saved. And you'll tell me about the type of church that you were baptized in. And we'll talk through the church constitution and bylaws and, and verify that we're on the same page. For example, if you say, oh, I really want to exercise my spiritual gift here. And, and you say, I say, what's your spiritual gift? And you say, speaking in tongues. I say, yeah, we're a, a church that would be a cessationist church. Well, what does that mean? I'm glad that you asked. We believe that supernatural sign gifts have ceased for the church today. They were necessary in the apostles' time, but upon the completion of Scripture, we no longer feel like those are necessary uh, according to Scripture. Therefore, we don't practice them. Oh, well, I want to speak in tongues. Good. You can do that. You just can't do it here. We have to have conversations like that. You say, would you actually tell somebody that? I have to tell people that. Again, unity in doctrine is one of the things that makes our church tight because we all believe the same thing. And again, if you disagree with Bible doctrine, what the Bible says, then you need to find another church that, that teaches something that, that the Bible doesn't say. So when someone says, I want to be a member of the church, I need to know, have you been saved? I need to hear your t- salvation testimony. Have you been baptized in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church? 
Some people are baptized under the guise that baptism washes their sins away. If you got baptized thinking that, that, that baptism saves you, then you haven't been scripturally baptized. You've been baptized under false doctrine. If you got baptized because your parents told you that, that they were going to take your Nintendo away if you didn't get baptized, you got baptized under duress, right? <laughs> that doesn't count as far as scriptural baptism is concerned. If you said some prayer when you were in vacation Bible school when you were four and you don't remember what that prayer is, but you think that your mom told you that you might be saved, you're more than likely not saved. And we as a church have to determine that. And so when we have somebody come up for uh, church membership this morning, uh, Hannah Call this morning joined at the 8 o'clock service. Karen Lima joined our church at the 8 o'clock service this morning. Both of these ladies have professed a solid profession of faith, and their life backs it up. They've both been baptized by immersion after salvation in a Bible-preaching church, and they come because they want to serve Jesus here at Huicala. They've read through a 26-page doctrinal statement. They understand what our church believes, why we believe it, any questions that they've had, they've asked. Both of these ladies have been around long enough to see how we do things and find out whether or not they feel like it lines up with the Bible, and they made a decision to join us in church membership. And I, as a pastor, have to verify that we're on the same page together, and then the church validates that by receiving them into church membership. Now, every church does it differently. Some churches have put it to a majority vote when somebody comes forward for, uh, for church membership. I always thought that that was awkward, even as a kid. You know, hey, here's Hannah. She'd like to come for, for uh, uh, church membership today. All in favor, say amen. Amen. Okay, how many disagree? Raise your hand. Okay, if you disagreed, what are we going to stop the service and say, hey, could you tell us why you disagree before we get on with this? Like, that just doesn't even make sense. And so we have a different process for that here. Uh, and again, when somebody comes, like, first 24 hours, hey, I want to join the church. Hey, why don't you hang tight for a minute, get to know us, we'll get to know you, and then at some point uh, we'll, we'll revisit that, maybe in four weeks, maybe in six weeks, something like that. But the idea is this, is that we have to understand when we recognize the body of Christ, we have to know who's a part of the body of Christ and who is not a part of the body of Christ. That's really important. Because that will determine, are we trying to get these people the gospel so that they can be born again, so that they can join us? Or are we treating this as a brother and sister in Christ who we can have Christian fellowship with? That's really important. This protects the unity of the church and the testimony of the church to the unsaved world. Again, make sure that we're all on the same page. Make sure we all believe the same thing. Now, again, all believe the same thing as believing the Bible. Okay, our, we don't have a, uh, you know, a systematic theology book that everybody has to go in. You have to initial by every doctrine you agree with and draw a line through every doctrine you don't agree with. Do you believe the Bible? Will you allow the Bible to rule your life? This protects... Unity, again, somebody that says that they, uh, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is sufficient for salvation. Okay, you should totally go find another church because you will not find unity here. You will create division. And God hates division, therefore you need to leave, according to the Bible. Again, someone believes that baptism saves. This is not that church. You need to find another church that believes that. Doctrine is a glue that holds the church together, what we believe, but doctrine also divides people as well. Again, if you've ever wondered how Jesus started one church and there winds up with 10,000 different types of churches, the answer to that is always going to be doctrine. What makes who we call a Baptist church different from First Presbyterian Church? The answer to that is Bible doctrine, what we believe to be true about the Scriptures. What makes us different than the Jehovah's Witnesses? Bible doctrine. So doctrine makes a difference. It either unites or divides. And ensuring that we're all on the same page ensures doctrinal unity and unity in the church. But it also protects the testimony of the church out in the community amongst the unsaved. For example, if you've got a Huicala sticker on your water bottle, I would expect when you go to work and you take your water bottle with you that you act like a Christian wherever you go. Because that's a reflection of our church. You wear your who we call a t-shirt to the gym, you better not be, first of all, you better not be playing your music out loud, okay? Everybody hates those people. <laughs> you don't need a Bluetooth speaker and, and play your music out loud. Buy headphones if you have a who we call a t-shirt on, okay? 
Use headphones. But secondly, behave yourself. Pick up after yourself. Wipe down the counter in the bathroom whenever you're done washing your hands. Say hi to people. Be friendly. Why? That's the testimony of our church. Don't be out in the parking lot with your curse word rap music bumping while you got your hooey call a sticker on the back and a hooey call a t-shirt on. That makes the church look bad. But here's the thing. I know that you wouldn't do that. You know why? Because you know what it means to be a real deal committed Christian and to represent the body of Christ. Why? Because we make sure that we're all on the same page. And so again, it comes back to the unity of the church. And here's the beautiful part about the local church is that the longer that you stay in one place, the more you'll see the hand of God's faithfulness in his church. Uh, my daughter, Michaela, is on our, our couch the other night. And one of the, the iPads that she uses is connected to my um, photo roll on my phone and my iCloud photos and stuff like that. And she's just going through, I got like 12,000 photos. And I think she went through every single one of them. And she's going through them, and she finds a, a video uh, that was taken down there. For those of you that don't know, two doors down on the left-hand side used to be um, our, our Children's Education Center. It's been about three different things. They're making it into a restaurant now, I think. But our, our, when we were on that side over there, we didn't have any space for kids because we us, were using the auditorium. The lobby was too, too small. And so we were in the space down the way, probably about, uh, I don't know, 800 square feet or so for our kids' ministry space. And McKeeley came across this, this video of her sitting at a table in that room with Tori Gregory, with Genesis Lee, with uh, both of the Grundy boys, and Anya Anderson teaching a class in there. And McKeeley, she, she, again, teenage girl, she's just like, oh my goodness, this is so sweet. Look at us. We were so little. Oh my goodness. Look at Miss Anya. Now she's married. Now she's going to have a baby. She's like, oh, my goodness. Like, she practically raised me. And it's just like, that's so sweet. But you know what I thought was awesome about that? Is that everybody at that table is just still being faithful. Family's still here, still serving Jesus. Everybody, everybody, everybody at that table, every family at that table has had some ups and downs. But we've all just kind of stuck with it and seen it through. I, I love that. I love the church like that. I, I love the story of people that have not been here for, I, I love the story of everybody who's been here for six weeks, but I love the story of people who've been here for six years. And just to see the change that God's brought about in their lives. And to see the people who were only supposed to be here for a year or two, they ended up staying for like three or four, you know. And how God has taken people away and he's brought them all back. And again, just the faithfulness. How does that happen? Because of unity in the church. Look, here's the thing. If our church didn't have unity, you'd try to find somewhere else that did. And look, if you got away, you'd be glad you got away. Nobody wants to be around drama. But ensuring that everyone is on the same page provides unity. Unfortunately, there's false Christians in every church. I, I hesitated to, to put this in my notes. You know why? Because I just don't want to believe that it's true. But there are people in who we call a Baptist church that profess the name of Christ that are really not saved. I don't know about you, but like that, that just hurt me to say it. But it would be foolish for me to say, there's fake Christians in every church in America, except for ours, you know. There are. There's um, a young lady who was part of our singles ministry um, yeah, probably, probably four years ago now. She... Uh, was going to, to HPU, she was a college student, she met some other uh, folks in our church and began coming to our singles Bible study and people had been sharing the gospel with her and, and encouraged her to get saved. And then uh, finally, I think it was a Friday night media Bible study or something like that, she was here and there's some people in the lobby and, and she trusted Christ as Savior and she said she wanted to get baptized. I sat down with her and went through her testimony and she showed me how she got saved and you know, asked her to explain the gospel to me, she explained the gospel to me. I said, why she want to get baptized? She said, she want to be an obedient Christian, follow Jesus, and this is a change she wanted to make in her life for her, her own self. And, and I was thrilled for her. I'm thrilled for any time somebody gets saved and wants to get baptized. And then she, she got baptized, and then, you know, um, I don't know, maybe three or four months later, she just fell off the face of the planet, couldn't find her. And then, like, two years, two and a half years went by, and she, like, pops up randomly out of nowhere. She's like, 
hey, I was walking by, and I thought I should just, like, stop in. I don't even think it was a church service that she came for. She came somehow and was sitting here in the auditorium and was talking with some people that she had known and stuff like that, and I said, hey, whatever happened with you? And she was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm now, right now, I'm really into, like, Buddhism and, and Eastern religion and stuff like that. And I was just like, what? I said, so tell me about when you were here before, you put your faith and trust in Christ, uh, you got baptized and, you know, you started discipleship, like, like, what happened with that? And she goes, you know what, I was really just trying to find a pocket of really good friends and, like, the people here was, like, super nice and, like, I don't want to let anybody down. And no lie, it was like somebody jabbed a knife in my heart and turned it sideways. And I said, I'm so sorry that you felt that way. And she was like, yeah, none of it was really real for me. I just wanted to fit in. And I was just like, no, because for me, I baptized someone who wasn't even a Christian. It was shameful and embarrassing. That was embarrassing to me. My heart hurt for this girl who had once upon a time professed Christ but was never really Christian at all. And to think that that's like an anomaly just isn't true. Again, some people are riding on a decision that they made in vacation Bible school. They don't even know what they said, but they just believe that they're saved because their mom told them that they were. We have people who come to our church that probably believe that they're saved because they got baptized one time. And so again, we would be foolish to think that they're not false Christians in our church. Now again, I don't have anybody in mind. First of all, if I did, I would talk to them one-on-one directly and we have a conversation. Nobody I can think of that, that, dude, that guy over there, he's totally a fake Christian. But again, according to the Bible, according to what Jesus says, amongst every gathering of Christians, there will be tares among the wheat. Jesus gives a parable of that, of how the, there was a, a, a farmer with a field full of wheat, and the enemy came and planted tares. Tares look exactly like wheat, but when you bust them open, there's nothing there. And the problem is they basically just become weeds, and they choke out the real fruit. And so everybody's like, hey, what do we do with this? And the farmer says, we do absolutely nothing. But when the harvest comes, the wheat will be separated from the chaff. And the chaff is going to get burned off, but the wheat is going to be taken into the barn. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said there's not going to be like one little tear out there somewhere that we missed. He's like, hey, when we gather all that up, there's going to be a big pile of stuff that wasn't truly Christian. And so we need to take that really soberly. First of all, we need to look inside our own hearts and make sure I need to know for a fact that I'm saved. And secondly, I need to pray that if there's somebody in our church that's not saved, that they would find the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, for many of these false Christians, it's very difficult to, to figure out because they sound great, but their heart doesn't match. And if you look at uh, James chapter uh, 5, uh, verse number 19, again, I've heard this preached a couple different ways, and I realized as I study this out, I've heard it preached wrong several times. Sometimes I've heard this, like, hey, if there's a brother in the church that's, that's sinning uh, and has gotten away from the Lord, you need to bring him back. But that's not what the, the passage here says. Verse number 19, brethren, he's talking to Christians. If any of you do err from the truth... And one convert him. The word convert is used synonymously with save or bring this person to salvation. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner. Now again, the word sinner there is not speaking of sinners who have been redeemed. It's talking about people who have never been saved. He which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. What kind of death? Again, if this were a, a, a Christian who had erred from the faith, who had gone uh, on a wrong path, he wouldn't be guilt worthy of death because he's been given eternal life. So this, speaking of, in this case here, one who appears to be part of the body but has gone away from the faith and it has actually does not have faith at all. And so... Unfortunately, many times these Christians, they talk a really good game. They sound like Christians. They speak Christianese, if you will. But they don't know Jesus. And so, Isaiah chapter 29, verse number 13. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips they do honor me, but they've removed their heart far from me, and the fear towards me is 
taught by the precept of men. Hey, these people say the right words, but their heart is like way far from me. Jeremiah 12, 2, thou hast planted them, yea, and they've taken root, they grow, and yet they bring forth fruit. Thou art near their mouth and far from their reins. Hey, again, these people appear to have some level of growth in their life. They're saying the right words, but their heart doesn't match. And so God is very concerned about these false worshipers because not only have they fooled themselves, maybe, maybe not, but these people have come into the church. And people who might not even be Christians have been a part of the church. And so again, uh, you know, if, if I seem a little bit too hard on who gets to join the church and things like that, then I'll, I'll take that on the nose. I have to stand before God for this church one day and give an account for it. Oh, I want to join the church. Great, we'd love to have you. Come on in. No. We're going to sit down. You're going to read what we believe from the Bible. And sometimes people, it's so funny. Uh, our church constitution bylaws, I'll give you this. It's a lengthy document. I think it's like 26 pages long. And people are like, it's the longest thing I've ever read in the world. It's like, have you seen Moby Dick? Like, come on. Like, really? Longest thing in the world. Come on. <laughs> I always tell people, take it one page per day. And maybe you can read it an entire month. Like, come on. It's 24. But here's the thing. People say, do I have to read it? You don't have to do anything. I would greatly appreciate it if you would because I don't want later down the road for you to be like, well, I didn't know that our church was against abortion and I'm, I'm, I'm pro, pro-choice. Then you should have read the Constitution and bylaws because we stand for life. That's like there in our doctrinal statement. And so again, we need to make sure that we know who we're serving Jesus with in the body of Christ. These false Christians are unmoved by the preaching of God's word. <laughs> the word of God should do something to you. I'm not saying like you should break down crying every time or you should want to run down to the front and fall on the steps and pray and stuff like that. But like when you hear the word of God preached, it should do something inside of you. There should be parts that fire you up. It's like, yeah, that's good. And there should be parts where you hear you're just like, Oh, heaven's sakes, please give it a break because I'm about to run out the back door. You should be encouraged and you should hear conviction from God's word every time you hear it. And and if, look, if a a 10-year-old boy gets up here and opens the Bible and just reads the Bible, you should feel conviction from the word of God. It concerns me when I see people that are super hard to the preaching of God's word, like hard, like unchanged, don't crack, don't move, like hard to the word. That's, that indicates a heart problem somewhere. <laughs> my wife shared with me this morning. Uh, my wife and I are both people watchers. Um, and she, she shared with me today. She said, hey, uh, that guy that came with so-and-so today, he was under deep conviction during the preaching today. I said, what do you mean? She goes, he was like, like glued, like his eyeballs were glued, like everywhere you went, everything you said, like he was hanging on every word, but you could tell he was visibly uncomfortable by everything that he was hearing. You know what? I love that. And again, that's not because I have this, this great uh, public speaking style that gets people to hang on every word. It's the word of God that draws you in. That's just like, this is what my soul craves. This is what I need. And when people hear the word of God, and they're just like, yeah, they don't feel anything. That, that worries me. Now, again, feelings aren't everything, but the word of God should change your life. Again, everybody's different uh, from an emotional standpoint. Some people are just like even keel all the way. Some people can be about to fall apart inside and they look great on the outside. I'm not talking about your emotions and whether or not people cry and stuff like that, but just unmoved by the preaching of the Word of God. Their lifestyle doesn't change in relation to what they hear, what they learn. Uh, and again, that's an indication of a heart problem somewhere. Next, the, these false Christians, the fruit of their life is corrupt. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5, if you would. I want you to take a look at this real quick. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. These should be circled in your Bible. 
Put a star beside them, underline them. If you're using the app on your mobile device, highlight these verses. Better yet, commit these verses to memory, Galatians 5, and 23. This is the fruit of the Spirit. You probably hear me quote these probably every other week, at least, you know, a couple times a month for sure. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. Okay? If you are a Spirit-filled Christian, you will have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. This will just come out of your life. Not naturally, because these are not the fruit of your flesh. They will come out spiritually if you are walking in the Spirit. If your life does not have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, then the Holy Spirit is not working in you. And the question becomes, why? And there's only two answers for that. One, you've quenched the Spirit. You've turned the Holy Spirit off. And you don't even hear it anymore. Or the other answer is, you don't have the Holy Spirit to begin with. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's because you're not a Christian, because you've never been saved. And so many times, these professing Christians, they don't have the fruit of the Spirit in their life. It's not evident. And instead, they have the fruit of their flesh. Take a look at verse number 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. Again, they're on display, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like of which I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but that's as clear as it can get. What is your life put off? Now, some people, we'll talk about this uh, next Sunday morning, some people think that this is a list of of sins, that if you do this sin, you're going to go to hell. No, 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 no. (laughs) Any sin you commit, you're going to go to hell. That's just a given, okay? Automatic. If you offend in one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. We're all guilty of death. But these verses characterize a lifestyle of a person who has never had their heart changed, that their heart stays corrupt. Their heart has remained hard towards the things of God. And these things are incompatible with verses 22 and 23. You can't have adultery and fornication and love and peace at the same time. They don't, they're exclusive. They work against each other. You can't be long-suffering when you have hatred, strife in your heart. It just doesn't work. So the question is, what type of fruit do they have? No, I'm, I'm going to pause for just a second and say this is really important. It's not my job, it's not your job to be fruit inspectors. Like, I see that guy, I've known him for like six months, and I don't see a lot of long suffering in him. He's probably not saved. No, 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 no. Don't go there. Not good. The key here is, is I should look at my own life and say, do I see regeneration in my own life? Do I see these things? And I've talked with so many Christians, I'm going to use that in air quotes for people listening online. Christians who say things like, you know, the whole love, joy, and peace thing, that's like just not my personality, man. That ain't me. Right? That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of Bob, right? (laughs) So if the Holy Spirit's working in you, that should be you, right? Theoretically. That's what the Bible says. But I don't see a lot of that. I see... Anger and strife and hatred and variance. I see drunkenness and revelings. Man, that's heavy stuff. Now, I'm just going to drop this here and leave it because I don't have time to, to, to go into it tonight. But that word witchcraft there, sometimes people that think it's like, you know, playing with like Ouija boards and stuff like that, which that could apply here. The Greek word that's used for witchcraft is the Greek word pharmakeia, where we get our word. Are you ready for it? Pharmacy, pharmaceuticals. Because some people believed back in that day, again, I'm not going to go into this, I'm just dropping it here, you can do, do what you want to do with it. Believed back in those days that people that were under the influence of drugs had actually been possessed by witches, demons, witchcraft. And so there's some question 
whether or not the, the use of the word witchcraft in Scripture using the Greek word pharmakeia is actually talking about people who were using drugs at the time. I don't know. I haven't dug that really deep into it. I just thought that was just a, kind of a fun fact, and so do what you want to do with that. But here's the idea. These people aren't exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit in their life is corrupt. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 33. If the tree's good, make good fruit. If the tree's corrupt, it's going to bring forth corrupt fruit. And if it's corrupt, you need to chop it down and be done with it. That's what Jesus said. So again, don't become a professional fruit inspector that everybody walks through the front door like, hmm, what do you see over there? I don't see a lot of fruit of the Spirit going on over there. I saw them doing that over there. I think they're probably doing a little bit of fornication over there. Probably not saved. Don't do that. Because again, how many of you know Christians can do reprehensible things too? Right? So again, this is not a place to go around questioning people's salvation. This is just a wake-up call that everyone who calls themselves a Christian might not actually be a Christian. Everything that calls itself Christian might not actually be Christian. Every song on Christian radio might not actually be Christian. Every book in the bookstore in the section labeled Christian likely isn't Christian. Have discernment. And you always want to look for fruit. Many times these Christians will leave the church and pursue the world. Again, I say Christians, we're using these as, as false professing believers. They leave the church and then they pursue the world. Why is that? Well, John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not at all of us. They left the church and began to live in the world an unrepentant lifestyle of sin. You know why? Because they never really were one of us to begin with. And so they have, First John, they have made manifest. They've proven with their lifestyle that they never were a Christian to begin with. Funny story. Uh, Sunday nights, uh, our church was really, really young. We were probably maybe second year or so. And then we began to think of like, hey, what's something encouraging we could preach on a Sunday night? You know, our church is new. We're kind of excited about new stuff. What could we preach and be an encouragement to people? And I thought of First John. Like, First John, like, God is love, and everyone that loves remains in God, and God's love remains in them. I thought, man, that's encouraging, right? Sounds good. And so I announced the church, I go through First John. I start studying through it. And like the first two chapters of First John is like, if you say that you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. It's just like, whoa. Can we skip like chapter four? That's a lot more encouraging over there, you know? I don't know. But again, John says some really stuff, tough stuff in John, first John. Hey, they left us because they weren't with us to begin with. Now again, I want to Put on pause for just a second and clarify something. I've heard people use this passage as a weapon against really good Christian people. Oh, bless God, they went down to First Baptist Church down the street because they never were one of us. They're probably not even saved. Oh, that's not what that verse is talking about. Somebody changed to a church that, you know, is kind and, and loves people. You know, that's not a bad thing. Oh, they left because they never were one of us. It's not talking about us, like who we call a Baptist church, like we're a tribe. They never were a legitimate Bible-believing Christian to begin with. That was the problem. And they left and pursued sin because that's their master. And so, again, these are going to be in every church. I'd be foolish to think that they weren't in our church. And if it is you, man, would you fix that? I, I, I can only imagine how embarrassing it would be. To say, I've been a part of this church for like two years and I'm not really saved. But look, let me just tell you, I want to clear out a couple of things with that statement. First of all, you never have to be embarrassed around your family, ever. Never, ever. And secondly, if for a split second there was one person who might make you feel embarrassed over that, which there isn't, there's always that hypothetical one person, right? If there was... Is that worth missing eternity in heaven with Jesus for? I don't think so. I tell that one person that I think in my mind might say something to go stuff it. That's what I would tell them in the name of Jesus. <laughs> in Christian love. Because again, I, I, want, I want you to make sure that you're saved. And uh, I've been so blessed 
by people that I thought were good Christian folks who came and said, hey, I wasn't really saved. I thought I was. Somebody told me that I was. I really wasn't. Hey, I thought I got baptized scripturally, but I found out later that I wasn't. I think I need to be baptized scripturally. And that's kind of embarrassing. There's no embarrassment in that. Obeying Jesus? Where, where is the embarrassment in obeying the Bible? It shouldn't be at all. So, again, while individuals, this is super duper important, while individuals should not pass judgment on the salvation of others, at times the church will need to. And again, that sounds uh, really, really harsh. I get it. It sounds hard on the surface, and it probably is. It's not your job to sit at home and talk with around the, the television about who in our church is really saved and who really isn't. It's not a, a thing for after your small group breaks up to sit in a circle with a couple of you and say, yeah, I don't think that guy's even saved because of what he's done or what he said. Not your place. But there is an indication that the Bible tells the church that we need to bring someone's salvation into question. Turn over to Matthew chapter 18, if you would. Just three verses, but they're power-packed on how to deal with sin in the church. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. These are three verses you need to mark in your Bible because you're going to need to come back to this at some point in your life. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 15. If you take notes or write out in the margins of your Bible, something like that, you might write the words church discipline beside that. It's what we call this. Actually, it's a formal process that we go through of confronting people that are living in unrepentant sin. Verse number 15, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. So, Uncle Zeke, He's a part of our church. He sins against me, does something wrong. I go to him and I say, hey, Uncle Zeke, you need to make this thing right. And if he says, you're right, I was totally wrong, I say, amen, brother, I forgive you. And I give him a hug, and guess what? I've gained a brother. What a blessing. Verse 16 says, but if he will not hear thee, Uncle Zeke, take them with thee, to one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Hey, Uncle Zeke, I got a couple of deacons from our church that are here with you just to make sure that we're all on the same page together. I need you to recognize what you've done is a sin before God, and you need to repent against it. You sin against me, you sin against God, you need to repent. Now, again, this is in cases where you take a couple of deacons to the church. Someone has uh, been involved in adultery, and they're unrepentant. Uh, someone has left the spouse, and they're unrepentant. Uh, someone has given over to addiction, and they're unrepentant. Uh, and, and again, this is somebody's hardening their heart against uh, the Bible and against the gospel. And so, verse number 17 says, And sh- if he shall neglect to hear them, the two or three witnesses, tell it unto the church. If he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So, we tell the church, hey, Uncle Zeke's left his wife, and he's not willing to restore his relationship with her. He's in violation of Scripture. Here's the Scripture he's in violation of. Uh, Uncle Zeke, would you like to make a statement on your behalf? He has the ability to not try his case or get people on his side, but he has the ability to make a statement and hear from him the judgment that's been made on him by who? By the church. Now, let me just tell you, this is one of the worst feelings in the world to ever have to preside over. I'll promise you that. But it's necessary at times. And if he doesn't hear the admonition of the church and repent and restore and make things right, we're to treat him as a publican and a heathen. What does that mean? As an unsafe person. Because you are unmoved by sin, because you are unrepentant against the word of God, we just assume that you're not a Christian. Because Christians... Listen to Jesus. Christians obey the Bible. And if you are unwilling in the face of your church family and the word of God before God, unwilling to make this right before God, we just automatically assume that you are not a Christian. You are removed from church membership. You should be treated as an unbeliever. Now, again, this is where things get a little bit dicey and churches can do it well or they can do it poorly. They can say, if you see Uncle Zeke at the store, don't speak to him. Go the other way. If you come down the aisle with his shopping cart, turn your shopping cart and go away. Don't ever speak to the man until he makes things right with this church. Is that how we treat un- unbelievers? 
No, we pray for them, we love them, we're broken over their sin, we plead with them to come to Christ, we plead with them to repent, but buddy, you ain't coming over for the guys I'm grilling steaks for this weekend, because we're a bunch of guys that love Jesus, and you don't love Jesus. And so people say, well, it's really harsh. That's why it's called discipline. But let me just tell you this, the times where either in step one or step two, someone says, man, I'm... I was 100% wrong. I want to make this right. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? I'm telling you, this is the sweetest moment of restoration. Joy is restored to the body of Christ. You say, I didn't know this stuff was going on. Good. Praise God for the fact that you were unaffected by this. But there has been times in our church before where I confronted somebody, and they're like, that person, I, I might have to love them, but I won't like them, and I won't ever speak to them. I won't ever sit in the section that they're in. I'm not serving in ministry with that person. And I say, I think it's best that you find another place to go. Well, I'm not leaving this church. Actually, you're not welcome back in this church. You said, you would do that? I have done that. Because when you say, I will not obey the Bible, I will not obey Christ, and I will cause disunity in the body of Christ, not on my watch. We've worked way too hard to provide the sweet, loving, godly spirit of this family that we're not going to let some carnal Christian or someone who likely might not even be a Christian ruin that. Not going to happen. So there will be times where our church has to say, this person's not a Christian. I had a friend who uh, recently had to go through this process with two members of his church had basically come down with some bad theology and had basically, when confronted with the person and two witnesses, basically said, we don't believe that Jesus Christ is sufficient for salvation. We must work, we must provide works so that God can accept us, that the blood of Christ is not enough to save us. And if you're not paying attention at home, that's called heresy. He said, well, if you, if you believe that, then you can't, be a member of here because you're not saved. And so they told the, the folks there, you're not welcome back to this church unless you want to repent of your sin and become saved. They had to go before the, the body of the church and tell them these two people were involved in heresy and they're not Christians. He said, well, did they say their name? They absolutely said their names. It's not like a guessing game, like look around the room and find out who's not here. That defeats the whole purpose of the process. This person, Joe, has sinned. And so I asked my friend, I said, how did it go? He said, man, it was a sweet time of sorrow for our church family, for these two people that they thought were their brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's a sweet time of reconciliation that we were a church that were willing to stand on the word of God and be unashamed for it. Praise God for that. And you know what? God blesses that spirit. And so, here's the thing. Back to James chapter 5 and we're done. Turn back there. Verse number 19 and 20, Brother, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So, again, if someone has sinned against God, has fallen away from the faith, decided they're done with Christianity, the only option is to confront that person. If the person's saved, we need to confront them and restore them. Hey, brother, what's going on? Hey, come back to church. Get your head on straight. I don't know what you've been watching on YouTube or what podcast you've been listening to, but it's garbage that's filling your mind with untruth. It's amazing to me the number of people who get bad theology and bad ideas about the Bible from YouTube. I'm going to search the Trinity on YouTube. Your browser blows up. It's like, I didn't know that God was a shapeshifter. The Trinity isn't even really a thing. It's just like, stop it. Don't get your theology from some guy on YouTube. Well, he's got 68 followers. He must know what he's talking about. Stop. Stop. Go to the Bible. Go to your pastor. Read a book. But if this person is saved, hey, brother, come back to the faith. Knock this silliness off. Be done with this. Galatians chapter 1 says, 
If a brother falls, you that are spiritual, pick him up, dust him off, and restore him. And I would like to think that we are spiritual here. That if a brother and sister errs from the faith, get mixed up in something they shouldn't, that we would love them and bring them back to a right relationship with God. Neither is spiritual. Well, how do we handle We grab them in the middle of the night and put a bag over their head and drag them back to church? No, no, no. Spiritual means you have spiritual fruit, which is why. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. You love them and say, hey, brother, I love you. That's why you can't continue to live this way. You've got to knock this stuff off. But the person's not saved. We need to confront them and plead for repentance. Hey, you say you're not a Christian. You need to be saved. I thought you were a brother in Christ. You thought you were, but you're not. We can make this really easy. <laughs> you just need to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus to save you, like for real, for real this time. And again, Oh, what will people think? Who gives a rip what people think? Is this your family or not? Do these people love you or not? Have I ever made you feel like you can't tell me the truth? Like, don't live a lie. But at the end of the day, if someone's not a Christian, they need to get saved just like anybody else should get saved. Faith in Christ, repentance of sin. And... The local church should contain grace-filled, blood-bought Christians who desire for Jesus to be glorified by the holiness of his church. For you that are taking notes, I know that's a really long sentence to say. But I want you to think through it with me. This church and any other healthy local church should be filled with Christians that are overflowing with grace. Why? Because we've been given much grace. It's what, those t-shirts that we have that say grace on them, the whole purpose of that is a conversation starter. People say, what's grace? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Because we value grace here. We give grace here. This is not a church for people, quote, like us. What does like us even mean? Like mid-40s, slightly overweight, gray beard before his time like what does that mean people like us no we're a church that's full of grace for anybody from any walk of life whatever you got going on we love you we're for you we've been bought by the blood of jesus christ we want jesus christ to be glorified in our lives hey christ be magnified isn't just a catchy song that we sing it really is what i want in my life every single day of my life until i get to see jesus face to face I'm just a catchy little hook that we sing. That is the, like, if my heart could scream, that's what my heart would scream. I just want Jesus Christ to be magnified. Magnify Jesus was the theme for our church two years ago. That, that we would magnify Jesus, whether through my life or through my death, whether I live or whether I die. And to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I just want Jesus to be made bigger in my life and in the lives of the people around me. So that we value grace, but we also value God's glory and we value the holiness of the church in so much that, hey, if one of us steps on that line, it's going to be like, hey, bro, come on back. You can't be living like that. You can't do that. Hey, man, I see your joys like sliding. What can I do to help you bring it back? What's going on? How can I help you? When somebody says, hey, I'm not even a Christian. Hey, those are some strong words. Have you really thought that through? Can I talk with you? Can I pray with you? And there might be somebody here tonight who says, that's me. I've been saying I'm a Christian. I'm not really. I've been embarrassed to say that I'm not. Maybe you don't believe the Bible and you've been afraid to say that. Hey, get this. Maybe, and again, I'm just going out here. Maybe you've said you're a Christian and you love this church so much that you're not willing to say, I'm not really a Christian and I don't really believe the Bible and I don't want to follow Jesus, but you're afraid of like losing community. You wouldn't be the first person to do that. But would you just tell me that? I want to help you. I want to love you. Look, unbelievers are welcome to attend church here. If you're still trying to figure life out, you're, that's okay. We want to give you a space to be able to do that. But you can't proclaim to be something that you're not. You just can't. And so I just want us to be authentic, real deal. And if you need help with that, I want to help. So 
as we wrap up the book of James, James just kind of abruptly ends. Boom. If somebody errs, man, restore. And I think kind of the, the idea behind this is, is that nobody's perfect. Give a little bit of grace. Give a little bit of encouragement and help people to make it. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.